Do we have tea drinkers in the house? Who here loves a good cup of tea? Who knows that there can be bad cups of tea? Yeah. Yeah. See, the tea. Coffee drinkers, we know there's bad cups of coffee, but I don't think we really think about bad cups of tea. I'm aware that you can make tea two different ways. So kind of the way I know, you fill up the kettle, you put it on the stove, you bring it to a boil, you put some tea bags in a pot, you pour it over. And, and, and the, the tea connoisseurs among us are like, <gasps> I've discovered that that is a way to make your tea bitter. It actually does not necessarily make a good cup of tea. See, the other way is you boil the water. Actually, there are charts. There are actually charts to tell you what temperature of water is suitable for each different kind of tea. And you would put your tea in an infuser, and you would put your water in the pot, and you would infuse the water with your tea. It's what the tea drinkers know as steeped tea. Tim Hortons is trying to grab the tea drinkers. I've had tea from Tim Hortons, and it's boiling water over a bag, just FYI. (laughs) But steeped tea is completely different than hot water poured over a tea bag and let this sit. Our, Our intent as we move forward into this new series is to become steeped. Steeping is going to take some time. Steeping is going to take some effort on our end, some intentionality. But church, we're going to steep. And we're going to steep together for the next few weeks with the Holy Spirit. Last week, we entered the new year together with a call to train ourselves for godliness. If you weren't able to make it last Sunday, hop on. You can find us on our website. You can find the message on YouTube. But not because I think I'm something really terrific, but I do want you to get the message, sort of this this underlying call that we have been given as Northview Community Church, to train ourselves in godliness. And this acknowledgement that in the world there is a form of godliness. There is something that on the surface looks godly, but inside it lacks substance. This appearance of godliness with no substance, and we are not going to be that. We are going to be a family that trains ourselves to be godly. And we, we kind of, I gave two definitions of godliness. Godliness is a lifestyle that consistently reflects the character of God. And godliness is a devotion to God which results in a life that is pleasing to him. So you can memorize both. You can grab the one that inspires you. But I can't pick. But this is who 
we are and who we are intentionally going to be. See, the goal for us as people, as families, and as a church is to live a life that is devoted to pleasing the Lord, pleasing him every day, all day, and in everything. That's the call. That's the privilege. That's the who we were set apart to be and do. And there's no question that this is a high call, a challenging call, and one that will not happen without effort on our part. See, loved ones, we don't have time. Because if nobody's told me, if nobody's told you this year, let me be the first. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And he's coming for his own. And there are people in this world, people that you love and people that I love that do not know the love of God yet. We do not have time to mess this up. We do not have time to present a form of godliness. The world needs to see transformation in the hearts and minds and lives of the people of God. That's what it's about. See, why does Northview Community Church exist? The scripture gives us a couple of things. It gives us the great commission. You know, the reason for the church, the mission of the church is to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Jesus says, everything I've commanded you. And he tells us that surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. The mission of the church to be the light of the world, the city on a hill, the church on a hill. Called to go and to make disciples. The great commission and then we have the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. See, first, that assumes you love yourself. That you see who you are in the presence of our king. That you know that you are precious and set apart, called to train for godliness. To be little vessels of hope and light and love of Jesus in the world around you. And then in Acts, there's this picture of the church as she is beginning to form. And, and the, the pericope title in that is called the Fellowship of Believers in Acts 2. It's Acts 42 on. And it talks about the gathering of the people of God. That they devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the teaching of the word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread to prayer and that in this church everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed and all believers had everything in common they sold property and possessions and they gave to anyone who was in need a church that lives interdependent under the authority of God A church where 
the people love and where it's safe. A people where they enjoy the favor of all people and they enjoy the favor of God. And in Acts, it says that to that group of people, the Lord kept adding to their number. Of course he did. Who doesn't want to be part of that? I want to be part of that. So for us here at Northview, how do we live out the great commission and the great commandment? Who are you and I to be as a family of believers? What are we supposed to do as our part in bringing God's kingdom to come here and now? See, I, we've been working through this a little bit, and we're going to have a slide here. I believe the vision of Northview, Northview exists to make heaven crowded. Anyone disagree with that? We exist to make heaven crowded. I'm not convinced you're with me. This is a really good spot to say amen. Let's try one more time. Northview exists to make heaven crowded. Amen. Amen. You're the tour guide. You're the host. You're the usher. You're the greeter. You're the welcomer. See, in our mission, how are we going to do that? Our mission is to create ways for people to experience the extraordinary love of God and to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. When you grab that word devoted, it goes back to godliness, a life devoted to pleasing God. Every day, in every way, in everything. In order to be a place and a people who are making heaven crowded. We need to invite people to experience the extraordinary love of God. We have to be a people who experience the extraordinary love of God. We we can't lead people to a place where we're not. And I'm telling you, nobody wants to follow a grumpy, sad sack saying, come on, he loves you so much. Eeyore spirits are transformed. We are not Eeyores. Are you with me this morning? So in order for us to be a people who are living lives of devotion to God, that result in lives that are pleasing to him, we have to steep We have to steep in his presence. I mean, you have to know that you know that you know you are loved by God. You need to know that you know that you know you are led by the Spirit. In my life, I've been so blessed with an incredibly intense relationship with the Lord. He is so chatty. I I hope you know that to be true in your own life. He is so chatty. If I will give him an audience, he will talk to me. He will tell me things about me I don't want to hear. 
but he will tell me who I am. And he will tell me that I'm more loved than I deserve to be. And he calls me his own. We need to steep in the presence of God. We need to steep till we're all pruny and wrinkly. And it just oozes out of us. That even though the people in the world who know you to be followers and believers and servers of Jesus Christ say, whoa, what happened? You are different. I like this different. I want this different. See, we have this tendency as people to exalt ourselves and build our own kingdoms. Now, those of us in the church, we do it really good because we, we use Christianese to justify it. We allow ourselves to be driven by our own selfish ambitions. We're really not all that different than Adam and Eve in the garden when offered to be like God. They took it. We take it. And just like them, we run and we hide when called to account by the Lord. The painful truth is, is that you and I, we are terrified to ex be exposed and to be naked and humble before the Lord our God. So we wear masks, afraid to bear ourselves for fear and shame. We don't much live on the mission of God because I think we're afraid that if we really step out to reach others for the Lord, ultimately we're going to expose ourselves. And our own selfish ambitions rise to the surface. Maybe we're why. The church isn't growing in Canada. So if all of that is true, we need help. We need help that we can't give ourselves. We need supernatural help. We need to be set free from the fear that is holding us back. From the lies that are telling us that we are not good enough. We need to be set free in order to create ways for people to experience the extraordinary love of God, and become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we need to begin by allowing ourselves to fully experience his extraordinary love. To allow ourselves to be exposed in his presence and transformed by his love. We need to be a people whose lifestyle consistently reflects the character of God. So I have some questions for you. That was my sales pitch. So, do you want to be a Christian that stops hiding behind the mask of pride and indifference? Amen? Good place to use amen. It means I agree. Do you want to live a life fully devoted to God? 
Amen. Good. Do you want to stop minimizing your own personal need for transformation? Uh, come on. No, no, no. No, no, no. This is the brass tacks kind of moment. Do you want to stop minimizing your own personal need for inward transformation? Listen, we need it. We don't have to be ashamed to admit that. We are imperfect human beings. And we mess up. And there's a good chance some of you messed up on the way to church. If you came with your spouse, you probably did. If you had kids or grandchildren with you, you most certainly did. I came only with Daryl and we were good. Just so you know. Do you want to live a life dependent on the Holy Spirit rather than your own strength and understanding? Because, loved ones, that's what it's all about. Imagine living a life where you hear from God, where you know his will, you know his intention, you know his heart, and you don't question it. Imagine knowing that kind of friendship with the Lord that you're never alone and you know it. Not here, but here. See, that's what this is all about. This is about steeping. And it boils down to the Holy Spirit. To becoming people of the Spirit. If you had any doubt whether or not I was Pentecostal, let me tell you, I am Pentecostal. And all that that means, it will make some of you uncomfortable. But I promise you, when you become a person of the Spirit, when you steep in the Spirit of God, any other form of Christianity is boring. It is boring. So this is our journey together. And I have to tell you that there is nothing more exciting for me than to be able to preach and teach on the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing more terrifying for me than preaching and teaching on the Holy Spirit. Because this is where transformation happens. So... We ruffle some hornet's nests in the spiritual world when we do this. So we need to walk through 2023 praying for each other. Not throwing on masks when the attack comes, but being vulnerable to get people to enter in and pray with us and for us. See, my heart's desire is that we're going to close the gap together between what we read in the Bible about the Holy Spirit and how we live and operate as the people of the Spirit, as the church of Jesus Christ. My personal longing, I have two things. One, the day I die, I'm totally stealing it from D.L. Moody. I want my obituary to say, you have heard Crystal Moore has died. Do not believe it. Because today she is more alive than she ever was. And when people dissect my life, 
I long for them to say, she couldn't have done that without the Spirit of God. I want the way I live to reflect the one I love. I want to be used by the Spirit in every area of my life. Andrew Murray says, when we pray for the Holy Spirit's help, we simply fall down at the Lord's feet in our weakness. There we will find victory and power that comes in his love. So this is what we're going to do. We are going to fall at the feet of the Lord and be transformed together by his love. So let's pray. So Father God, here we are at your feet, open to have you enlightening the dark corners of our hearts. Spirit of the Lord, help your word to find a resting place in our hearts and minds and spirits today. We openly ask to be transformed by the deepening of our relationship with you. Help our minds to be alert, our hearts to be settled, and our time to be yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I need you to know that as we move forward today, it's going to look a little bit different. It's going to look a little bit more like teaching than preaching. And so right off the hop, before I forget, I actually have printed out some of the scriptures as we unpack who the Holy Spirit is. I have 10 copies. Daryl has them. If you don't have email, you are welcome to go and grab one from him at the end of the service. You can also email the church at info at northviewchurch.ca or me. It's just crystal at northviewchurch.ca. And I will send you this because there's homework. If you want to, <laughs> sorry. I'm going to teach and preach every week and we are going to gather to learn more and plummet the depth of the spirit. But your job is to go home and do that through the week. To give him a private audience with you, with your heart, with your mind. And so I believe that this will be helpful because it will give you some things to meditate on. I'm not collecting homework. There are no assigned marks at the end of this. You will all be as equally loved as you are today. All right? But we're going to be transformed. So we have to accept the fact that God is a mystery. He does not spell it all out for us. He's not going to. We are not going to fully understand him until we are living with him in the new heaven. When the city of Jerusalem comes down and we are gathered and we are living and breathing and having our being where our faith has become sight. And until that moment, you don't get to know it all. And I don't get to know it all. So we have to appreciate and become comfortable with the mystery. 
But the good news is, is that the things that have been revealed by the Lord belong to us and our children and our children's children. And we can understand them. And the most amazing thing is, is that the one, the Spirit of God who inspired the writing of the Scripture lives in you and will help you interpret and understand his word. So there's much that we can know. The Spirit is not wild and out of control. The Spirit of God never brings chaos. Never does he ever bring chaos. We blame the Holy Spirit for a lot of hokey things we've seen. For a lot of, a lot of bad theology, bad practice, all of that. If you've ever been on YouTube, you've seen it. And the Holy Spirit gets the blame. The Holy Spirit does not bring chaos and confusion. That will not happen here. Because the Holy Spirit brings clarity and understanding. The Holy Spirit will always point us to Jesus. Always. So if you're nervous on this venture, be reassured. It's not going to get crazy. Oh, it'll get crazy, but not that kind of crazy. We will become a transformed people as we lead in. Theologian Gordon Fee says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, if the church is going to be effective in our postmodern world, we need to stop paying mere lip service to the Spirit and recapture Paul's perspective. The Spirit is the experienced, empowering return of God's personal presence in and among us. The Spirit is God's own personal presence in and among us. We got to get there, folks. So here we have Jesus nearing the end of his ministry, and he is with, he is with his people. And he's beginning to prepare them for what will come. And they don't understand. We need to keep in mind that forever they thought the Messiah would just be this one that would step up and lead the charge physically against the oppressive Roman Empire. And instead God left heaven became one of us. We know the end of this book. They were living it in real time. And Jesus was gathered with them and he was talking to them about the one who would come after him. The advocate or the Holy Spirit, the comforter. In John 14 and John 15 and John 16, we have what Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says, If you love me and keep my commands, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, another one just like me, to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you. And he will be in you. John 15, 26 and 27, Jesus says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. John 16, verses 7 to 15. But very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, it is good for you that I'm going away. Every time I read that, I pause because I imagine sitting there thinking, nope, they weren't buying it. It's, it's better for you that I go away. They were breaking bread and traveling and teaching people and living life with Jesus. I don't, it doesn't get better than that from our perspective, does it? And yet the Lord's saying, it's better for you that I go. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world, he'll, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and in judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Catch that? The prince of this world now stands condemned. Condemned. Jesus says, I have much to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It is challenging to understand the Holy Spirit. And in order to really think it through, we have to grasp the Trinity. Remember, I warned you about the mystery of God. This is that. It is true that the word Trinity does not appear in the scripture. Theologians, people who are so much smarter than you and me, well, there's some in our midst. They have plummeted the depths of this. And theologians gave us this term, the Trinity, to help us to understand the Godhead. The Jewish Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. We worship one God. One. In three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, 
and the Spirit. We can get our heads around the Father. Because we all have an understanding of a father and who a father is and what a father does. Now, we all have to be careful because if we had a negative experience with our father or a father, we tend to be very quick to put that on God. But we, we can relate to a father. Then we have the son and we can understand the son in part because he left heaven and became, took on flesh, became relatable to us. He dwelt among us, Emmanuel. So the father and the son, we can get our heads around, but then we have the spirit. See, there's no picture hanging on anybody's wall of a blue-eyed, blonde-haired, dressed in blue, western man that we say hey that's the holy spirit we we don't have that and if that's the picture of jesus you have in your mind you're wrong that's a conversation for another day um he's not caucasian with blonde hair and blue eyes yep he's just not so we can grasp the father we can grasp the Son, but the Holy Spirit is tougher because we have no human image to compare him to. We have this picture of a dove. And I don't know about you, but I don't relate very well to doves or pigeons. I simply hope I don't run over them when they're on the road and they don't seem to want to move. I wish the Lord had given him a name, like a personal name. But instead, he's holy, which means perfect, and I'm so not, so that's tough to identify with. And then that second name is spirit, which means invisible, and I'm not. The Holy Spirit is hard to understand. And so he's easy to dismiss. He becomes sometimes for some people the forgotten member of the Godhead. Because he is so other than us. And yet so is the father and so is the son. But there's something tangible there for us. So we are left to identify the Holy Spirit by his activity. And when we do not understand who he is, we often blame him or associate him with craziness. With the wackiest things in the world that are done in the name of the Lord. And then we become afraid. This wasn't in my notes, but true story. So when I got saved and I came to faith in the Lord and I was coming here with Daryl and I was in Bible school and I had been sprinkled as a kid so I needed to be dunked as an adult. It was taking believer baptism right here in this tank. And there was, there was a little bit of drama outside the church happening around this public profession of my faith. And... I was entering the waters of baptism kind of scared 
because there was this threat that the police would be called and they would show up because my baptism really mattered to the law. That's a different story. But I was actually really afraid that when I went down and came up, that the police would be here and I'd be speaking in tongues. <laughs> that, like, freaked me out. And so I literally was in the prayer room. We were wearing choir robes to be baptized and saying to the Lord, I love you and I want this. Please do not embarrass me. I was young, not knowing how many times I would embarrass the Lord. And that never one time in my entire life has he ever once embarrassed me. And you know what? I wanted spirit baptism. But I didn't want it publicly because I'm a very private person. I'm actually quite shy. And so I entered the waters of baptism and I publicly declared that I am his and he is mine. And the police didn't show up. And nothing wacky happened to me. And two weeks later, I was sitting in this section of the pews, worshiping, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. And so quietly, and so beautifully, baptized me in His Spirit. And I was just singing. And then all of a sudden, I was speaking in a tongue unknown to me. And it was the most precious, beautiful gift. It wasn't scary. Nobody turned and looked. Nobody knew. It was this gentle gift that radically changed my walk with him. And we're going to get there. We are going to get to spirit baptism and talking about the importance of it and why we should seek it and how God uses it. But that's a few weeks from now. Today we need to lay the groundwork of who is the Holy Spirit. Because we cannot do this well if we don't know who he is. So this groundwork is important. So the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is a person. He's not an it. He's not an essence. He's not just a power of God. He is a person. There are people in the church, not in PAOC, but there are churches out there, other denominations, that do not teach this about the Holy Spirit. They have a false understanding. He is the third member of the Trinity. He is God and he is a person. And we relate to him as a person. He is identified with the Father and the Son as a person. In the Great Commission, Jesus says that we're going to baptize people in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and who? In the name of the Spirit. He is a person. He is identified with the Father and the Son. He's the third member of the Godhead. We worship one God in three persons. He is described in the Bible, and I have a slide for this one, with different names. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Good Spirit, Holy Spirit, 
my spirit, spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus. That's not an exhaustive list. But those are some of the names that we have for this third member of the Trinity. The person who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has characteristics of a person. The Holy Spirit searches and has knowledge. And it's in this handout that I unpack those and give you the scripture references. So I do encourage you. It's on my sermon notes so you don't have to traipse through all of that. It's just the scriptures. The Holy Spirit searches and has knowledge. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all the scriptures. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts as he wills. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Romans 8, 27. The Holy Spirit loves. Romans 15, 30. The Holy Spirit does exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus and exalts the Father and the Son. He always points us to Jesus. Personal pronouns are used when referring to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, he, the advocate, he, personal pronouns. John 14 and 15 and 16. There are personal acts that are attributed to the Holy Spirit. He speaks. Acts 13, 2. He intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26. I want to pause there for a minute. Because I don't think we spend enough time reflecting on the fact that, that the Lord prays for us. He prays for you. By name. Specifically. For you. This audience of one. The Spirit intercedes for you. The Spirit teaches us. 1 John 2. The Holy Spirit guides us. There are times in my life where I cannot explain it other than to say that the Spirit of God has spoken to me where I will be doing something and there is just this sense on my heart that I need to be somewhere. And it becomes unrelenting to the point where I pack up and I'll have no idea what I'm doing. But I just know that I got to go. And so I do it. And keep in mind, I've told you I'm really shy. That's who I am not up here. I, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I battle these thoughts that nobody ever really wants to talk to me. That's, that's just part of my story. But the Lord puts something on my heart, and I go, and I step into a situation. And I'll hear, you're here. We need your help with this. Or can you pray? Or here's the problem. And I, I had no prior knowledge 
other than this guiding word from the Spirit of God in my heart. Life is an adventure when you let the Spirit guide you. You really never know what's coming next. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. We, we can hurt his feelings. We can make him sad. And the Lord knows I've done that. When I've chosen not to listen, or I've chosen indifference. And loved ones, we, we need to let this settle in us. That we can grieve the Spirit. That we can sadden the lover of our soul. The Spirit can be insulted. He can be lied to. He can be blasphemed. Jesus said that every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. That is a lifetime of denying who he is. A lifetime of rejecting the evidence of the Spirit in this world. All sin and slander can be forgiven. But the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. So what does he do? First, he is God. This is critical for us to understand. He is God and he is a person. Because he's God and because he gives, he's a person, he gives us access to God. He gives us access to the Father and the Son. He assures us of our place in Jesus. For those who are led by the Spirit, Paul says, are children of God. If you are led by the Spirit, you are a child of God. He assures us of our place in Jesus. He convicts us of our sin. And he reveals our old nature. So when I was a kids pastor, I would talk to kids about, you know, how the Holy Spirit works and, and when to know you're feeling convicted by the Spirit. When is he revealing your sin or pointing out your old nature? It's called guilt gut. You know, we're a little bit more mature than the kids with it, but it's kind of when you get ants in your pants in the middle of the sermon. And then you have this thought like, how dare she say that about me? He convicts us of our sin. 
he's the one that kind of puts that pressure on us when something's being exposed. And he can do that because he searches all things. And he reveals the will of God. And he empowers us. Jesus said it was better for him to go. Because if he went, then he would send the advocate, the comforter, the spirit of the living God that not only takes residence in us when we come to faith as this guarantee, the evidence of our inheritance, but the spirit of God will also come upon us and spirit baptize us giving us power to be the witnesses that we are called to be in a lost and dying world. We cannot be who we've been called to be without a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. If we've had, if you've had a boring sort of walk with the Lord, you think, wow, other people just seem to have a fire I do not have. Let me tell you that fire is the Spirit. An understanding and a relationship with the Spirit of God that leads in all truth, who convicts of sin, who transforms, who renews our mind, who points us to Jesus If we want to be awakened, if we want to be effective, if you want to know an intimacy with God that you have not known, let me tell you the invitation is relationship with God through the Spirit of God. I suspect as we move through these next few weeks together, some of the material might be new to you. If you have not been raised up in Pentecost, you are going to understand some things about how we practice our faith, our doctrine, and our theology around being people of the Spirit. It might feel unsettling at times, but I want to remind you that the Spirit does not bring chaos. He will never embarrass you. Never. Ever. He will lead you in all truth. He will continue to bring you to Jesus. See, there is this invitation before us by the Holy Spirit himself, inviting us into a deeper relationship with him. But you also have to extend an invitation. So this morning, we have laid out who is the Holy Spirit. Who is this member of the Trinity that we are going to get intimate with.
And his invitation to you is to draw close, to lean in, to experience him, to surrender to him. But you have to choose to offer an invitation back to him. An invitation for him to make himself known to you. Remember, he's a convictor of sin. He reveals our old nature. He will expose you. Not publicly, but privately. He will move in your life if you invite him to. And my prayer is that you will invite him to. Because that church that is described in Acts 2, you know, the one that has everything in common, that gathers together, that breaks bread, that's devoted to God? I want to be part of that church. And I can't be part of that church without you. I want us to be a radically transformed family. Radically transformed by the Spirit of God. To be a people who live out their lives to please the lover of their soul. It's not going to be easy, but it'll be worth it. And so the invitation is to join me on this journey. The invitation is to welcome the move of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in your life. And as the worship team comes back up, we are going to close with a prayer from St. Augustine. O Holy Spirit, descend plentiful into our hearts. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglected dwelling and scatter thy cheerful beams. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit you will move in us that you will, you will plummet all of the dark corners of our lives. That you will speak your love in those places. That you will draw close to us, that we will not feel afraid. We will feel safe and secure and loved. So that hand in hand with you, we will be transformed. That we will develop ears and hearts that are tuned to you. That we will live lives surrendered to you. That we will be a people who live fully devoted to pleasing you. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us today, tomorrow, and all the days of our life. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen.
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May you be blessed as you seek him this week, church. You are loved.